Welcome to Jacked Theology. Um, my name is Morning, Matt Murphy. I'm with Kevin. Yeah, good to, good to be with you again. Yeah, great to dialogue as always. Uh, I feel like it's just a continuum of a conversation we have via text and Twitterverse. Um, maybe a little summary of it. Uh, maybe this week we could talk about... Um, start with Al Mohler. Al Mohler came out with a big... Uh, big statement this week uh, that didn't really surprise me, but yet yeah, I guess what surprised me is that he doubled down the way he did on it um, and really clarified what he was, what everyone thought he was saying to be true. Um, so if you guys didn't see it, I mean, if you guys just did a simple search on Twitter uh, for Al Mohler and voting or heresy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was it was a big it was a big thing. Um, people really from lots of different vantage points were really taken aback by what he did, by what he said. Yeah. So if you weren't um, if you weren't able to see it or find it, um, he he essentially said was going on a rant about voting and 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 taking voting seriously, and that if if you didn't vote. Uh, a certain way, a conservative way, politically, then you were being unfaithful to the gospel. And so essentially, people felt that he was calling folks that don't uh, vote his way, not a, not a Christian or not understanding the gospel. And so he got a lot of uh, feedback he got on that uh, rant. And uh, he doubled down on it. He came back and basically said, just that 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 you are unfaithful if you don't if you vote liberal and not conservative um, and so i i think that's the undertone of a lot of this debate out there i was um telling kevin as i got on the call that i was at a pastor's training this week and that easily the number one question that was asked of me as a presenter was how are you handling politics in the church? It, it's, it's, uh, it's the thing that people want to talk about the most. Um, and what I find interesting um, is that a guy like Al Mohler, maybe he wouldn't say this, but a, a lot of folks like that would say that they're not being political um, and that those who oppose him are being political, which I find fascinating, um, that it's okay to espouse conservative values uh, in politics as not politics, as just the Bible. Um, when, um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was, I, I was taken aback, you know, by this voting the wrong way makes Christians unfaithful to God. Moeller says, you know, if you vote wrongly, I think is, is the word that he used specifically, uh, back last week, then, you know, you're unfaithful to God. Essentially, what I, I tied it to salvation. Uh, you, you know, and and he just went on to double down and and go deeper and deeper into you know this this idea, and uh, it just I, I think really what took me aback immediately about it was he he said it out loud. I think you know there's been this undertone of assumption that this is the way a, a lot of our our Thought leaders on on a, the conservative side uh, of of the spectrum, either politically or theologically, 
think, and we've seen it in the way that they act and treat other people often, but he said, he said it out loud. Uh, and then, as you said, he doubled down on it. And then people came out of the woodwork supporting it. And on the opposite side, people decrying it. And so um, it's, it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Um, it, it piggybacks well on our conversation last week about Christian nationalism. I think the more we see of this uh, kind of talk, the more the Christian nationalists um, dig their roots in. Um, so now you have a really one of the top conservative theologians and leaders. I mean, he's the president of the, of the Southern Baptist right. Seminary. Yeah. You know, he has a lot of influence, a lot of influence in that world. Um, I, I lived in that world for a while, you as well. And I know Al Mohler was a huge name. So the fact that he's doing this and connecting it to the gospel in this way um, really will dig people's roots deeper into this Christian nationalism, uh, allowing in the dangerous side of Christian nationalism, allowing the government to kind of dictate what the Bible says uh, it means, which is which is scary to see that. Um, and then our own university that we graduated from saw last night that their chapel speaker was our friend Wayne Grudem, who we spoke about last week on Christian yeah. nationalism and supporting Trump and giving people permission that actually it was a moral duty to vote for Trump. Um, speaking about capitalism is, is, is good or biblical and, and socialism is bad and anti-biblical. Um, which is another one of those digging your roots deep into this um, system. I mean, I, I actually it just came up in the lectionary this past week, um, and I preached it here at our church, is you cannot serve both God and mammon. And <clears throat> mammon, when you look at mammon, it's not just money. A lot of times we interpret that you can't serve both God and money, but it's also like the whole system of making money, the whole effects of money, like your material goods. It's like all of that. So you cannot continually serve you the financial world and God at the same time. And so to, to, to put capitalism as a biblical good, our mammon here in America is, um, is also scary and to see that come from Wayne Grudem. Um, I'm not surprised Cedarville, uh, at least where they're headed was doing that. And I guess I shouldn't have been surprised to see Wayne Grudem's names attached to it, but that's another one of those where the roots are being dug deeper. So like, are, what are we serving here? Are we serving God or are we serving uh, mammon? Uh, it seems like uh, mammon is uh, is higher in a lot of these folks' uh, worlds than than God. Yeah, I, I, I find it highly concer concerning uh, for anyone, where whether you're on the pole on the right or you're on the opposite pole on the left, you know, theologically or politically to create this stratified and narrow litmus test for what it means to be uh, in the kingdom of God, you know, for what it means to be orthodox. And the, the litmus tests are, um, are not usually related to, to Christ or the cross or, or salvation or, or forgiveness, uh, they're related to highly volatile political issues. I got into this conversation with with someone uh, this week on Twitter who, you know, this is a, she writes for First Things. She writes for several uh, 
theological um, on the conservative side, but several, you know, fairly respectable theological, um, you know, blogs. But to say, you know, that um, your position on the unborn, if you're not essentially an abolitionist, and if you are not of her thinking on one flesh union of man and wife, then uh, it's heresy. And to raise to the level of heresy, abortion, or um, the definition of marriage, as important as I think everybody, no matter where you on the, are on the spectrum, would agree with those things, that they're not unimportant. But to raise that to the level of heresy is essentially to say, if you don't stand in, in this narrow position, then you are a heretic. You are outside of the kingdom of God. You're outside of orthodoxy, which is, I think, what Al Mohler essentially was saying more broadly, not just on abortion and on gay marriage, but if you're voting or have ever voted for a Democrat, which he basically straight out said, you're unfaithful you know you are at that same level of heretic of outside the kingdom of god uh is now as you said with grudem et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. we're seeing it in churches everywhere you know we're seeing it being said everywhere not just from a few crazy people in politics or a few crazy people in theology or or pastors we're, we're seeing it we're saying it at the lowest levels and everywhere in between. Yeah, I, I, I've been accused of not being a faithful Christian or, or not even a Christian because I would suggest that you could be a homosexual or a transgender and be a Christian. Uh, which was yeah. not, which was not once a radical idea. No, no. And I mean, like five years ago, even most conservative individuals theologically or, or politically would have said you may not be in God's will. You may be sinning, but being a homosexual is not going to prevent you from being in the kingdom of God. They might've said even acting on it, but simply being, a, but now. Yeah. Now, it, no, no. And now I, I was trying to find, there's some tweets out there and I got tweeted at um, that just being a church that's affirming and welcoming means you're outside the kingdom of God, um, which is scary. Um, so if you don't believe with my view on politics, then you're outside the kingdom of God. Um, I think, well, I think what it is, is, and we've talked about this, um, so I wrote down, and I, I, I believe this. I mean, I think at least right where we're at, we're at right now, like G Jesus, if you look at scripture, espouses more less leftist and socialist type policies than, than the conservative are comfortable with. And I mean, wait, you look, wait. I, I say that again. No, Jesus, because I think that is, I, I, say that again, because I think that's important. Yeah, Jesus espouses more leftist and socialist policies than conservatives are comfortable with. And so did the early church. I mean, look at Acts yeah. two forty two through forty six. The the yeah. distribute the, the collection and distribution 
uh, was was straight up socialism. Yeah, and- it was a socialist society that they're building. Um, yeah, they they welcomed all. Jesus welcomed all. Like you you brought up Matthew nineteen in in, in a discussion on transgenders uh, this week, uh, which Jesus talks about transgenders. Uh, evangelicals conservatives especially conveniently ignore that i've read that to people recently or last few months and people have never heard that like literally have never heard of that that's in the bible yeah the matthew um, 19 third yeah. third gender eunuch passage yeah yeah, yeah. um and like straight out of the lips of jesus <laughs> yeah <laughs> And well, then the Paul migrant- says, well, Paul says, well, yeah. I, you know, you, yeah. okay, yeah, but you, you're going to have to reconcile that with Jesus. Yeah, and you can make an argument that Paul, um, well, actually, it's a valid argument uh, that Paul was talking about uh, raping little boys when he's talking about, when he's, you know, talking about homosexuality. Um, Paul didn't really have a view of homosexuality in the way we see it today, or even transgenderism. It wasn't as big of a cultural thing. He was addressing sin, other types of sin that I think today we would even get behind, uh, even the li- most liberals. Um, yeah, I, it's uh, so there's that. I mean, Matt Walsh comes out um, against transgenders um, this week, and and here's an issue like I. I I don't want to like make this a discussion on what whether we're, we should be affirming or not affirming. But <laughs> it kind of sounds like you're headed there. <laughs> I, I don't want to, you know, go down that road right now. But I think that um, no matter where you're at on that, I think my my hope is that we would all agree that that we should be um, loving and caring and not telling people they're going to hell because um, of, of their sexual preference. Uh, and in the way they might even interpret the scriptures, um, we, you know, we could disagree with them on that. Um, but to say they're out of the faith, uh, because they disagree on that, like, that's not like a tenet of scripture of who's in the faith and who's out. So even if you believe in that, there's a bunch of people that are going to hell, like nowhere in scripture, does it say, well, you're going to hell if you, uh, you're a transgender or you're homosexual. I don't see that anywhere. Um, well, yeah, and I think if we're taking scripture at its word, the 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 clearest people who are going to hell in scripture, Matthew twenty five says, are those people who don't take care of those who are um, in harm's way, those who are in prison, those those who are poor, uh, those who society, you know, rejects uh, when when people of God reject people in need as well. Those, those are the people who are going to hell. I mean, that's the clearest, I think, definition in Scripture of, of who, who is against God. And uh, it's, it's, not, it's not the transgender people. It's not the people who have had an abortion. It's, it's not those who, who are homosexual. Uh, if we're talking about straight up who's, who's being told yeah. to go to hell. And we're yeah. doing, you know, I, I mean, the, 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 the most important principle in scripture, I think, on this topic, it comes right out of the gate, is affirmed the whole way through the Old Testament, and certainly Jesus picks it up and reaffirms it again, is the image of God, that we are dealing not with issues, we're dealing not with degenerates, we're, we're, we're not dealing with, with topics, we're dealing with humans 
you know, who are made in the image of God. Mm. And no matter how we live, the image of God is not disfigured in us. Uh, and so and- the, huma- the humanity of people, t- Christian people in the church treating others who vote Democrat or who are treating others who disagree on a topic that is that is secondary. I'm just going to say it. Abortion is a secondary issue. Uh, homosexuality is a secondary issue. Um, treating people as though they have no humanity and are, are irredeemable is spitting on the image of God and I think just violates everything that Jesus taught. Yeah. Um, for the sake of a political, I, I want to I want to use you know my friends out there clear interpretation of the scriptures. After Jesus created, God created man. He said he saw it, and he said he it, it was very good. And I know the clear interpreters also believe that God is sovereign and knows all the future, past, and present all at once. And so God, in that moment, as He's declaring humans is very good knows the entire future of the world so he declares them the clearest translation of scripture i see as very good and so i think as leaders in the church uh we we see people as very good here's the other thing matthew 25 jesus talks about the least of these right whatever you did for the least of these you did for me what does he call them he calls them these brothers and sisters of mine jesus calls the least of these in society, his family, his brothers and sisters. Uh, I think that's important too. So how do you treat your family? Like I would do anything for my brother um, and my sisters. And so I think that that men- those mentality, very good. And everyone in our, in, in the world is, 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 is family uh, are the attitudes we've, we've got to espouse no matter how they disagree with us um, in social politics. Yeah, so there was this um, report released by was was it Ligonier Ministries this week? The uh, the state of the church. It's gonna bring it up here. Uh, essential. Oh, the state of theology, and essentially what it showed was that evangelicals, Christians in the U.S. Um, have a very firm stand. I, I think it was 90% or more. In fact, maybe here in a sec, I'll try to pull up the pull up the the stats on it. But but that, you know, when it comes to social issues like gay marriage, abortion, etc., um, evangelical Christians are overwhelmingly uh, unified in what they believe on that and that it keeps someone in the kingdom of God or keeps someone out of the kingdom of God. But when you look at theologies such as the divinity of Jesus is Jesus God, you're somewhere around 50% or maybe just above or just below, which when you extrapolate that out and look at the rest of them, what you see is you see that unfortunately religion in America is moving towards becoming a litmus test religion based on political talking points and political platforms rather than based on the Bible, based on theology or based on, you know, the, the words of Jesus. 
uh, it's terrifying, frankly. Yeah, I mean, that 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 shows that Fox News is having more influence on our theology than the Bible. Um, I mean, most dramatically. And so, you know, some of the issues we just brought up now, I mean, there are there there is, I think, could be robust theological debate. Absolutely. You know, except for the because they're this, they're going to hell. I think we've made that argument. But the the whole migrant issue was to me super fascinating because <clears throat> nowhere in the Bible, and I've asked that question of lots of people this past week, nowhere in the Bible can you find me where it says we have to have closed borders um, and that we need to be <laughs> the Republican stance on migrants and immigrants. Um, in fact, you see the exact opposite in scripture to welcome the stranger, to open your home, to open, have an open door. Um, to take care of of people, uh, no matter their race, their their nationality, their background. I mean, you could go on and on and on in Scripture, showing evidence of that. Um, and so, and and I got called again, not a Christian. I can't believe a pastor would say this. You know, that that I was going against God um, by saying that we should take care of migrant workers, that we should allow uh, illegals, and we should take care of them. Um, yeah, it, that was, that was very fascinating to me. It was, I think mean, it was a, it shows that, um, the Republican platform is, is dictating what people believe about God and it's not, and many of the things they're, they're, they're preaching aren't even in the scriptures. Um, so. Yeah. And I think that's dangerous. Um, I think, I think it's disastrous and, and deadly and I, I would think it were as much so. You know, no matter whether it was a libertarian or, or independent or democratic, you know, to me, it's not that it's Republican that, that makes it necessarily offensive. But the um, <laughs> the Republicans for 30 or 40 years have intentionally positioned and aligned themselves, uh, promoted themselves as being the religious party. And we're at a place now where much of the platform, where it currently stands uh, on issues in which the Bible addresses, does not in any way, shape, or form comport with what the Bible says. And so, you know, we're always making choices about where we stand and where we land on things. And it is terrifying to see a large number of evangelicals Whenever the Bible says one thing clearly and the party says one thing clearly and having to choose, choose the party. Yeah. And then just believe that that's what the Bible says. Well, it's not. Well, I'm going to believe it anyway. Well, you can do that, but yeah, you, you can't do it with faithfulness to God or scripture. Yeah. No, it, um, you know, I people people yeah, the republic. It, it's not just Republicans, but right now, it feels like I'll speak for myself. I'm attacking Republicans because that that's where the Christians are are aligning themselves. I mean, I think if the all the Christians were just aligning themselves with the Libertarians or the the Democrats and doing whatever they say, then I'd be coming after them as well. Because I think we've got to be Christians that think for ourselves, that like look to Jesus first and foremost. 
that to speak the language of the Theobros that look to the scriptures, just look at your scriptures for, for some of this. I, the, the clear interpretations I, I would, I would submit to you, go, go find me where uh, the Republicans have any ground to stand on when it comes to the migrants and the, and the immigrants. I, I, it's not there. Um, you would have to do a lot of wordsmithing and a lot of word twisting yeah. um, to, to make it there. So, yeah, I, I just, um, it's clear to me that's what's happening. Um, and they do a great job of it. I give them a lot of credit. Kudos to them. They, they've, they have really cornered the market. Um, and then they've, and I've had some discussions offline uh, via text with some friends that like, you're just falling into the trap of uh, being divisive, you know? And it's like, and they've got them to, to think that just because someone speaks out against it, that they're being divisive and they're helping destroy our country. So it's like, believe that though and, helping to destroy our country not helping to destroy god or the kingdom yeah. but destroy the country because yeah. the country is 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 the god and the thing that we worship there you go yeah amen yeah it, and it's like really so it's believe what i say and be silent don't challenge it um that sounds like a dictator to me a fascist <laughs> society um so and i think that's where they want us to head i think um yeah, well, and I, I, I think we have ourselves to blame because for so long we bought into this idea of the shining city on a hill, you know, the exceptionalism of America. That that it, our foundation story was that we were created for religious freedom in general and the Christian faith in particular, and so we have told ourselves for generations that that we are the pinnacle achievement in the world ever when it comes to a, a, a nation where you may freely practice the Christian faith. And um, because of that, I, I think we see our, we, we see the country as a, as a church or, or maybe as being more important than, than the church. It, it, America is the kingdom of God. It's, it's the visible expression of the kingdom of God. And so you know, to speak against the country is to speak against the kingdom, you know, to speak against a, a president who is willing to put certain judges in, on the Supreme Court is to speak against our God figure. And, and we might bristle at thinking that way, but that's how we act and that's how we talk. Yeah. Um, Samuel Perry released some new data this week or, I, mean, I don't know if it was new to him or he just put it out there on Twitterverse that 65% of evangelicals, white evangelicals, believe that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States is divinely inspired, meaning it's equal with the Word of God. 65% of 65% evangelicals, divinely inspired, like we would say the Bible is inspired, that the Declaration and the Constitution are inspired. Yeah, the only group, religious group, more and or was higher than even white evangelicals was the uh, Latter Day Saints, um, which is also another white conservative group. Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, it's 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 God ordained. We our story. We talked. About I mean, there's there are three fifths, right? <laughs> that was that was like a, a deep inception level. Yeah, that was good. Here. 
was good. Three fifths. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I mean, yeah. That there's that that's a loaded comment. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, three fifths. The Constitution said, you know, black people are three fifths human, and and that's how they count. Um, I, I don't know how you can look at a document that says that a human being is three-fifths of a person and compare that in any way to it being God-ordained whenever that goes against everything in Scripture about the humanity uh, of the individual, no matter what your race is. Yeah, I mean, that should like be the trump card right there. Um, but we're not, ra- I mean, we're not being rational. Okay. I, I mean, we're not being rational in the church. We're not being rational as, as individuals. We are choosing what we want to believe and we are ordaining it as being from God, whether or not it's true. And we'll pull out a verse that out of context tacitly supports our opinion and ignore the 35 other verses on immigration or, or whatever the topic is that that say the complete opposite, but we're yeah. going to, we're going to ignore and discount those because of the, the one that we can massage. Yeah. And it goes back to that origin story, right? That God sent the pilgrims and the Quakers to America to, to start this new paradise where we could serve God and, and all the founding fathers were Christians and, and designing this country on Christian principles, um, which the more historians come out with stuff, the, the, the further, further that's not, you know, very far from the truth. So, um, yeah, well read up on the, they hated the Quakers, even, even in the beginning of the foundation story, they hated the Quakers. Why did they hate the Quakers? Because the Quakers were social activists on, they were the, the first people who allowed women ministers. They were the first people to fight for the, the fair, uh, and humane treatment of prisoners. They were the people, the Underground Railroad, completely and totally Quaker. Yeah. Uh, and Quakers were were hated as much today as yeah, I, Democrats, you're right. as Democrats are by Al Mohler. You're right. You look at um, any group or person with influence throughout American history that began to live the way of Jesus, um, to enter into finding equity, justice, just simply loving people that aren't loved. Um, they were either killed or ostracized. Um, and yeah, because it comes against our American value um, of power, of authority, of, um, you know, wealth, the mammon. Um, that's why Jesus is left out of many of these folks is, uh, faith you know it's it's bible it's the it's the political issues and jesus is never talked about i tell you you know whenever you said you know serving two masters and mammon i mean i think you hit the nail on the head there of the issue that we see so much on this is you know we cannot as as people who profess to follow god live in two separate kingdoms and try to enact the will of both of those kingdoms at the same time. I just, you know, 
when we talk about these issues, you know, such as racism, you know, the Underground Railroad, the fair treatment of prisoners, the Matthew 25 sheets and the goats, you know, the least of these, the the folks who are who are the poor, the needy, the foreigner, an alien among you. Um, I, I just and I want to kind of throw a bone a little bit to 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 those of us who are who are very much on the, the highly conservative or, or fundamental theological or political side of things. I, I I think you can, though I might disagree with you, I think you can be an abolitionist in your belief about abortion. I think you can be a one man, one woman in marriage, and, and that's what God says is right. I think you can be a God does not approve of homosexuality person. I think you can be someone who believes all of these uh, really um, conservative, stringent understandings of scripture and yet still be the person who is operating the Underground Railroad, can still be the person who are supporting trans families and in, in what they're walking through, can still be the person who is celebrating um, when a gay couple gets married. Like, I think, you know, we see this, if I in any way, shape, or form do something that enables or shows love or um, could be by anybody seen as being tacit approval of what they're doing, then I can't also validate them as human beings, even in our disagreement. And it's just ungodly because this is what Jesus did all of the time. Jesus did not sacrifice any of his beliefs, but yet he was still having lunch with prostitutes. <laughs> he was he, he was always with the people. And the, the Bible regularly points out that both the religious leaders and his disciples even said, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be in that place. You shouldn't be hanging out with those people. You shouldn't be talking to that person. And Jesus essentially, forgive me, gives him the, the theological middle finger and says, no, you have completely misunderstood how it is that I want you to be in this world, not of this world, but not out of the world. Yeah. Yeah, I, Jesus. I'm sorry, I, mean, I kind of went on the air there. No, it's good. I mean, preach it. I mean, that's what ended up getting Jesus killed, right? He went against the. Yeah, religion. well, they yeah they killed him for it. Yeah, um, and I guess I mean the history preaches itself. That's what um, happens today. Uh, maybe not literally crucified, but um, yeah, I don't I don't know how you how you look at Jesus's life and, and you still kind of espouse and live the way you live. Like, I agree with you. You, you could, you could hold to those truths. I, I saw on, I think Matt Nightingale um, is a, is a gay pastor or a, at least a gay minister. I'm not sure what his, his vocation, but he, he mentioned how like a lot of churches when uh, a gay or lesbian couple come in, they want to know if, if the church is affirming. And he was just saying like, just be honest up front, you know, don't, Biting the coffee, don't hem and haw around it, and I, I think that actually is uh, the best way to handle it. I mean, anecdotally, <clears throat> I pastored a church. I'm in a denomination that is is not affirming, uh, but obviously, I espouse uh, caring for them, loving, inviting, and in, being part of the community. And so, there was a, a, a lesbian couple that attended our church for a while, and they had that question. In my instinct, it, I'm just kind of a well, I'm an eight on the Enneagram, so I don't kind of beat around the bush. They asked, and I just told them, right? And I and I said, but we're not going to treat you as a lower caste citizen. You're welcome to get involved here and 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 all that thing, all those things. I, I just won't officiate your wedding. 
that kind of thing. So I was pretty upfront with them and they kept attending. And I remember one Sunday uh, we were preaching through Ephesians and we got to Ephesians five and I preached that, you know, marriage between a man and a woman. And, and, um, and then eventually, and this, so the, one of the wives of the relationship, she was a, a lesbian expert and actually taught lesbianism and feminism at Rutgers university and wrote books on this topic. And she, um, so, you know, they're ingrained. And, and so they ended up, she ended up getting another job, at another university and they moved. And so when they were leaving, I asked them, why did you stay at our church? Even after I preached some things that I preached and she said, well, I enjoy she's like, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. And I enjoy this type of service, this contemporary evangelical type of service. And we don't feel welcomed in a lot of those churches. And we felt welcomed here for, for a couple of reasons. One, you're honest with us. You know, you didn't try to beat around the bush. You didn't hem and haw. You were honest. And you, and you, and you, and then number two, you showed you cared because when my wife was sick and in the hospital, you came and visited her, you brought her flowers, you got us meals and, and that sort of thing and treated us as like human and cared for us. And so this was the place that we wanted to worship. And, and, and that hit me as a young pastor, like, Oh, this is how we live in the world. Even if we have a disagreement theologically on some issues is we, and I felt cared and loved by them, even though they disagree with me that, that they stuck, you know, stuck it out with a young pastor in, in a new church plant and supported us. Uh, you know, so I think it went both ways there. And, I just don't see how other evangelicals can't take that approach. Just care, love, make them feel part of the family, um, you know, and, and be honest with where you guys are at. So, and I've been in other environments where someone comes out of the closet and they're immediately anathema and literally kicked out of the church. Um, and I don't understand that either. I just don't get it. Yeah, I think there was a time where there could be reasonable difference of opinion in the in the church, uh, and if there was difference of opinion, there would still there wouldn't be broken fellowship, um, at, at least on a on a on a fairly broad number of issues. But we're at a point now where I think any level of love or, or acceptance is seen as um, advocacy for the opposite side, whatever the opposite, whatever the topic and whatever the opposite side is. And it, you know, there, there's no longer, I think, freedom in the pews and especially freedom from pastors, a Jesus kind of love and, and conversation and difference of opinion. And uh, if you're not fully with me, then you're against me and, and you're out. And so there, there's, no, there's no freedom anymore for pastors, especially, to, to, to live that or, or be that without their job being on the line. And I think that that's one of the primary ways, unfortunately, in which we have seen not just politics, but really partisanship enter, enter the church in that you're either with me or you're against me. And what you have to be with me on are, are not things in which the Bible says we're to be focusing on. Yeah. Um, I think, I think we've nailed it. <laughs> um, it, what it leads to is it leads to, um, I see out there, well, people leave the faith over it. 
they can't they can't rectify and we talk about deconstruction i think our attitudes as leaders have leads people to deconstruct and ultimately leave the faith because they see how we treat people doesn't line up with what they're reading in the bible the plain reading for the plain reading people out there right they, a lot of these folks are not educated they're not reading academic studies they're just seeing stories of Jesus, like you mentioned a lot of them here. And they're like, that doesn't line up with how you're treating my friend or you're treating this group of people. Like, I'm done. And they leave the faith. And then we get mad that they're de deconstructing and they're they're leaving the faith. And we wonder why and, and all these things. And, you know, it, one of the funniest things I see out there is, well, I basically I'm summarizing this in my eight language is like, well, I'm being a jerk and mean to them because I love them. You know, it's for their own good. You know, like the whole God smites you because he loves you like that. That just like what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, nobody was ever disciplined into a loving relationship. They just. No. No. It's yeah, no, it's it's justification of, <clears throat> of hate, of ungodly treatment. Sometimes it's justification of bigotry. I mean, I, I know that word is is a word that causes the hackles on a lot of people's neck, you know, to, to stand up. But at the end of the day, um what causes us to get triggered over being called a bigot is in a lot of ways the church has been a bigot. You know, we have crossed over from as you talked about in your story with with the uh, with the lesbian couple in your church, we've crossed over from this idea of of standing firm on on what we believe Scripture says doctrinally, but we have only stood there and we've not loved. You know, we've we've treated people as though they are deplorable, as though they are outside of of the image of God, as though God's image is disfigured in them, and we've become bigots based on our theology, but not in a way where we are living living in a way that Jesus encourages and asks us to live. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think you're right. A lot of this goes back to um, maintaining power, uh, maintaining our position in society. Um, and yeah, it, it creates bigots. I mean, naturally, uh, because you got to talk about who's in, who's out. Um, and it's easy, you know, as much as Owen doesn't want to admit it, it's easy to talk about who's in and who's out based on skin color, based on, um, you know, lifestyle choice. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I think, the in and out thing was never what Jesus was about. Um, he was about showing how all people could be in. Um, he was about all people being in. And we get, we love the in and out, especially as Americans. And I think it's our American culture because we're all about winning, right? Even when we lose, we figure out a way to win. And, um, and so that helps us feel like we win because there's other people that are out. And at some point on, on this, we, we, we should talk about that, who's in and who's out. Um, that'll be a fun conversation. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I, the, the goals of the nation are wildly different than the goals of, of the kingdom, you know, and I think the word power is, is really an, an Owen Strachan is a great example of that. I think whenever Owen was in his life chasing the kingdom, he, he was, he was in the George Floyd, you know, there's, there's articles that were, were written by Owen Strachan, who's a, a doctor and a professor, I think at a, at a seminary somewhere, I don't know, but he's a, he's a thought leader uh, among a, a certain group of people in the church. And, you know, uh, during George Floyd, and I, th- I mean, he was speaking out against racism and, and white privilege and, and, you know, these issues that, that the church has really kind of been on the wrong side of. But then Owen realized about a year later that the power and the prestige was on the opposite side of that issue. And he moved to chasing clout and prestige and, and power and being in a name among that group of people and completely and utterly changed his, his orthodoxy to, to match that. And that's just one issue for Owen. But we, we see, maybe I should say the world sees clearly whenever a Christian is, is chasing power and prestige and fame and influence and whether someone is pursuing the, the, the kingdom of God, which looks very different in the model that Christ showed us in eating with people we, we disagree with, being there for the least of these, as you said. The world sees that. And I think we see it too. We've just chosen to ignore it, to store up treasures on earth. Um, yeah. And then, you know, speaking of Owen, he made me think uh, of another point that came up this week. And I think it's relevant for this conversation is a lot of, so then there are, there are a lot of these guys who, you know, are the academics, they're the thought leaders, Al Mohler, Owen, uh, Grant, um, John MacArthur, there's some others out there. And they, all they do when they do their academic research is actually very poor academic research is they just quote each other. Like, right. It's just a good academic engages in the opposing arguments and yeah, they all piss in the same pond and then drink from it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's like we were taught good academics as you engage the other argument, you argue with it and make your point and try to show your argument as the better one, but they don't, they're not even willing to do that. They just, yeah, regurgitate each other's material, um, which is not good academics. It would not pass any major academic publication. <laughs> and I want to put that out there that when people read this stuff, that like it's not, it's a whole one-sided thing. Yeah, they're 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 all drinking from the same pond and and spitting back up into it. And yeah, yeah. I think whenever we. Um... <laughs> whenever we've decided what is right and what is truthful and whenever we have also in the back of our mind know that what God says is, is probably not aligned with what we think. The, the only, the only thing that we can do is shut down the, the questioning or the perspective from the other side. You know, we, we insulate ourselves from truth in order to shut down the, the conviction, you know, that comes along with it. And I, I, I see a lot of that happening, unfortunately, right now in in these circles. I, you know, where we began with Al Mohler saying, 
you know, it is, it is unfaithful to, to vote for, um, a Democrat, no matter what their platform is. And if they're paired against a Republican, no matter who they are and what they're, no matter how degenerate that person is simply because of the R or the D attached to their name after the comma determines where, where God is and where your salvation lies is so far afield from God as to, uh, I'm not going to call it heresy and I'm not going to call Al Mohler outside of the kingdom of God, but I just, I don't have words that are strong enough to say that this is, this is not of God. This is not of the church and this is not the way, um, by, by any stretch of the imagination. And if Al can't see that, and if we can't see that, even if we have an R attached to the end of our name, if we can't see that and reject that, uh, I mean, Jesus' conversations to the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were were pretty strong and, and for us maybe pretty avoidable. Yeah, I think Al, Al knew what he was doing. Um, what do you think he was doing? I mean, honestly, what what was he doing? I, I I mean, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes with him, but like, he he knew what he was saying would be controversial. He knew that. Um, I mean, I I think Al Mohler is a very smart man and a good leader, and whether or not what he does is good, but he I guess maybe is an effective leader. <clears throat> and uh, so I, I I think he knew exactly what he was doing. I I don't know what his end game is what his agenda is um obviously it's connected to politics somehow and getting his base to vote a certain way but i think this was thought through premeditated um for sure and uh yeah he has a lot of influence and he knows it so he yeah well and i i think i see that happening so much um chasing clout chasing yeah. clout in um on in social media, chasing clout among the political party, chasing clout in the church, wanting to wanting to be somebody, wanting to be heard, and it's um, it's a it's a dangerous game to play to be willing to say, do, or become whatever is necessary in order to gain or retain clout. And I, I think I think I think you're right. I don't. And, and Al Mohler, the same as Owen Strachan, you go back five years ago to what Al Mohler was saying about Donald Trump, to what Al Mohler said last week, literally about Donald Trump. And we know six years more about Donald Trump than we yeah. knew six years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, and to 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 change opposites, you know, from from where you were in, in such a way where you would say that if Donald were running no Christian can be in the kingdom of God and not vote for Donald is you're yeah you're in the kingdom of man chasing mammon and yeah and that's the bottom line issue here is is to follow God and follow Jesus means that we lose some mammon so if you don't vote for Trump you know, or Trump's guy, whoever the next guy is, maybe DeSantis, God, no. But um, if you don't vote for this guy, you're going to lose your mammon. So we have to vote for this guy. And that's where it all comes back to. 
the debt forgiveness thing is another one we haven't really dove into but today but like that's clearly connected to mammon because they're right if you, if i forgive someone's debt their debt is actually put on me and transferred to me and i have to help pay that debt that's completely true but that's not a biblical argument for why we don't debt forgive like that is what we're supposed to do but when your your god is mammon and is building this kingdom this empire of money and, and wealth and prestige you lose some of that and so it comes against the the, the whole idea of mammon which is why uh, certain groups of people are are against it um and it's why we justify voting for a Donald Trump because he will protect our mammon. And that's why he's God's man, because we don't want to lose that. Um, and Jesus was all about laying down, you know, the, the rich young ruler, sell all, give all to follow me. And the rich young ruler, he couldn't do it. Um, it was too hard for him. And I think that's where we're at with a lot of people. It's, are you willing to lay it all down at the feet of Jesus? Are you willing to then follow him yeah. with nothing? Well, and I, you know, I give, I give evangelicals a lot of crap, Matt, I do, but in, in reality, the, the tenets of what it has historically meant to be an evangelical are very clear and, um, very intentionally aligned with a view of scripture that is focused on, on living the right way and believing the right things, which I think is is admirable in a lot of ways and foundationally is a lot of the strength that over the years has been under evangelicalism, which goes back far earlier than the moral majority. But unfortunately, what has happened is evangelicals, evangelicalism by and large has ceased to be about the original foundational tenets of evangelicalism and now have become essentially a an advocacy party for the Republican platform whatever the Republican platform chooses to be on that day. And because of that, because of that hitched wagon up to the Republican party and the platform, rather than the tenets and the foundations of what evangelicalism is and was, evangelicalism is wholesale, has moved and is moving further to a place that is not only marginally off center from the kingdom of God, but is outside of the boundaries of everything that it means to be within the kingdom of God. And I don't think that's going to change. I really don't think that evangelical as a whole is going to change from that. There are too many who are too about what it means to be a, a follower of God and, and on the way, I think for that to change evangelicalism is done, <laughs> you know, and it has ceased to become a religious movement. Evangelical is now not just a political movement, but it is a partisan movement, both on the inside and perceptually from the outside. Yeah. What I mean, I think what I want to see, and I'll, I'll let you jump in, but what I want to see is I want to see evangelicals who um, may agree with evangelicals foundational tenets, but, see what's happening to the partisan direction that evangelicalism is is going and who they're hitching their wagons to those people have to stand up and say somehow figure out how to say i am still strongly committed to the theology of the evangelical faith but i'm no longer an evangelical if being an evangelical is defined as being you vote republican or you're an abolitionist or, or you're, 
in favor of Donald Trump or no matter what they do, flying immigrants, elite. This is not my evangelicalism. And if this is what it means to be an evangelical, well, I don't know what I am, but I'm not this anymore. And until people on the inside, like you and I are willing to stand up and say, you shall not pass. <laughs> this is no longer of God, and I won't quietly abide it. The church will continue to be the laughing stock of the world. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sorry, so I went on a tear again. So you, no, I like it. I just wanted to to clarify for people that the four tenets of evangelicalism, which I think I would still subscribe to. Um, I might nuance them a bit, but it says, you know, the four tenets that started evangelicalism that everyone wrapped their, you know, around to identify them as the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. It's important to encourage non-Christians to trust in Jesus Christ as their savior. Jesus's death on the cross was the sacrifice that removed the penalty of sin. And only those who trust in Jesus as alone as their savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Um, and so I think if evangelicals would go just back to those four tenets, but you're right, like it has become a very cultural thing. Um, I don't even think most evangelicals know what the four tenets are. I think that, um, you know, it's, it, it has, it, it's just a cultural influential thing. And I don't want that label on me anymore. I don't want to be identified as evangelical because because of all the cultural stuff and baggage around it. Um, we could have a discussion about the theological tenets, um, you know, and, and, and how to define that. And I, you know, but I agree with you. I think, I think that, you know, there's a handful of folks like us that grew up in evangelicalism and believe those four theological points that are speaking out against evangelicals. I feel like we have a right to speak out against evangelicals because there are people, you know, um, it's not like we're outsiders bashing them. We're, we're, we're definitely insiders in this movement. Um, and so, yeah, I agree with you completely. I think that's an appropriate rant. And um, people need to step up. People need to step well, up. And that goes back to fear. Uh, there, there are, I, you and I both know a tremendous number of evangelicals who feel this way, who feel that they are mostly or fully aligned theologically with the essentials, but it's all of this other stuff that's, that's been added, this partisanship, this promotion of, of a narrow ideology that's loosely tacitly, if at all connected to scripture that they say, that's not me. I can't abide by that, but they can't say it publicly. They can't even say it in their own families because yeah. there is so much animosity and so much hate and so much fervor that to in any way, shape or form, not even be against, but to question is, um, you're, you're removed from the family, you're banned from the Facebook group, you're ostracized or, or removed from the church. Uh, you're un, unfaithful to God and, and reject rejecting him completely. And, uh, guys like you and I just don't care, <laughs> but it still has an effect on us, but I, you yeah. know, 
Well, um, with that, I, I get I get comments a lot from pastors and and I've gotten comments from very high up leaders in my denomination thanking me for what I say, but they don't feel like they have the ability to do that and for fear of their job or influence. And I I can understand that. Like I don't I, I appreciate the encouragement. I, I, I say, well, at least they're encouraging me and they're they're protecting me in some way. Um I think that's that's a valuable role. I wish they would step up, but I get it. I, I get it. I you know, got kids to feed and and that sort of thing. And you want to, you do want to uh, protect your family and that sort of thing. And sometimes I get in trouble because am I, you know, put my family at risk, um, which is a real thing. I mean, I've gotten called to the principal's office a few times for things I've stood up for. Um, and uh, yeah, it's tough. It's tough when you go against the mold, but I appreciate you, Kevin, your leadership in that. Um, you do a good, great job. So keep up the good work. Yeah, I uh, I appreciate that. I don't <laughs> I don't know I don't I don't know about that, but um, you know I, I I have just decided I'm going to be the voice of one who's crying in the wilderness, uh, and usually my cries are are are, are bad <laughs> and uh not well spoken and, and i'm always eating crow or, or editing or, or apologizing for how i do it but the alternative is uh i just i'm just at a point where to to me i i, I don't want to look back 10 or 20 years from now on where we are culturally and say i i didn't use whatever voice or influence i had to radically call people to the kingdom of God and out of this mess that is the kingdom, the kingdom of man. And uh, if I get to the end of the road and it wasn't what to do, at least I won't have any regrets for trying. Yeah, the, the passage that um, I go to is uh, the passage, I, it's a, I think it's Elijah had just, you know, spoken the word of the Lord and got chased out of town because they were trying to kill him. And he's laying there like wanting to die. I think it's like first Kings 16, 17, something like that. I'll have to find it for you. But he's just laying there wanting to die and not sure what to do. And, and God says, get up, go to the next town. <laughs> you know, this is kind of this picture that like God's called you to this work and he's going to encourage you in that moment. He encourages Elijah with the, the bread and, and, and different things from the widow woman. And, and so I think God gives us what we need. And then we get up and we go to the next town. We go to the next thing and, and learn from the past. Right. You know, and Elijah did it certainly. And, and just keep following God's call. And he, and God also promises uh, Elijah. Yeah, it was Elijah because Elisha to come help him. Um, and so God, you know, I think sees that wants to provide help and what we need. Well, yeah, and I, you know, on the back of that, Matt, too, I'd like to I'd like to encourage, you know, if pastors or people are listening or, or watching and are, and are struggling with what to say or how to say it or guilt over silence, um, it's okay. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think the world needs um, a whole bunch of carbon copies of of you and I, Matt, out there um, boldly speaking and and doing so on the bleeding edge of of where we are culturally 
Um, I understand that it, it's going to take time. There's there's a need for people to find find their place and find their voice and and how to do it in a way that is authentically them, and um, in a way that people will will listen. You know, if if you're spouting off from the pulpit and online, and it's a 180 degree turn from where you've been. Uh, is there any value if people immediately turn off what you're saying? Probably not. And so I think the, the, the hope for me, you know, the encouragement would be um, to listen to the spirit of God and, and say and do whatever is appropriate in your context and, and in your belief system in order to combat um where we are in the slide from evangelicalism into being a, a partisan tool of the state rather than being a spiritual movement of God into culture. Amen. Agree. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up for today. All right. Um, thanks. Sounds for- good. Thanks, thanks for, for watching. Thanks for joining us, everyone. If you watched this far, thank you. Um, Give us some feedback, always. Yeah, let us know how we can help you more or do better. So, yeah. Till next time. Till next time. Take care.